What's up guys, and welcome back to Ask Adept Psychologist, a monthly Q&A podcast where we take your questions that you submit to the $10 tier or higher on Patreon, and we answer it in as much detail as we can between the three of us. Now, as you might have seen from the title and the thumbnail, we branded this one all about Friedrich Nietzsche because the longest answer we gave in this podcast was about Nietzsche. And if you want to skip to that particular question, then you can do so by clicking the timestamp in the description or in the pinned comment. But apart from that, we have questions on belief in God and its validity for depth psychology. We've got a question on biphasic sleep. We've got a question on self-doubt and self-hatred. And we've got a question on redirecting your libido towards a more positive direction. So as always, you can skip to any of those questions by clicking the timestamps down below. And of course, most importantly, I hope you guys enjoy. So the first question that I'm going to kick over to Stephen Pauline in the past comes from Nightchild. And he asks, Jung famously said when asked if he believed in God, I do not believe, I know. I wonder what the relevance or usefulness of religion or a spiritual practice has on our relationship with the psyche. You mentioned having to respect the psyche. Is spiritual practice in the form of religion or prayer the way or simply a way to do so? Okay, in, um, in terms of the way that the question has been formulated, then there's absolutely no reason at all why you can't legitimately use a religious belief or practice. It's been the traditional way of doing it before depth psychology was created. So in that sense, yeah, absolutely. Edward Edinger, for example, says that people who are contained by a religion don't need that psychology at all. So anybody really who is into a religion that works for them doesn't need that psychology. So yeah, it's more than legitimate, but you have to decide for yourself if the results of working with that particular religion, whichever it may be, are the kind of results that you feel that you need, because there's a difference between what you may need and what you may want. And the difference very often can be the level of consciousness in an individual. So if someone's contained by their faith, absolutely fine. I, I've mentioned it before. I've worked with uh, Christian priests of uh, Roman Catholic and high Anglican uh, backgrounds, plenty of other people from other faiths as well who've had spiritual crises. And it's entirely appropriate to meet them on that level and, and talk in that way. Um, but objectively, that's a, that's a separate matter. But then religious faith really is a subjective issue, as is deaf psychology, actually, because it's all about personal journey. Mm. So I'd say, yeah, it's, it's more, than, um, more than valid. Jung's uh, comment, though, by the way, has been heavily criticised, um, not just from the outside, as in outside of deaf psychology, but also within it. Um, it was a deliberately, obviously crafted Gnostic response in the moment. Um, and he contradicts himself over knowledge, whether knowledge of uh, the Christian deity in this instance uh, is actually possible in that sense. You guys have gone completely dark. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the sun's gone in, yeah you, you, you should take that back. Jesus is not going to be happy with what you've just said. <laughs> Well, whatever that's 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 incredibly strange i, I want to um i mean the idea of, of individuation it can be confused i've used before like this video game analogy you know it's like you go and you, you you integrate the shadow then the anima then the wise old man then the self and then you transcend to like another realm um of, of course we know that that's not true the the whole idea with depth psychology ultimately is to get people happier and well adapted again so in, in it's you can almost take a pragmatic stance right 
it's if if someone is happy in their religion, then that's fine. If they and if they if they're suffering, maybe the religion needs to go. But if they're not suffering and they don't need to see a therapist, then maybe that's all somebody needs to be happy. And then it's not our job to try and take that away from somebody. That's become relevant to myself no, recently. It's true with, with, with any belief there, there are lots of roads to personal development, so many, and they're all legitimate, they're all valid in a relative sense. It's when people draw very strong demarcation lines and say, if you do not believe this particular thing, then there is something wrong with you simply because you don't share that belief. That's bad. Okay, so thank you, Nightchild, for your question. Appreciate you as always. And this next one comes from Kiro or Kero. Again, I think I've forgotten how to pronounce your name. I th think you did, you did tell me. But Kiro asks, what are some ways to transition misexpressed libido into positive libido? In recent days, I've gotten better at reducing misexpression of libido, aka aimlessly slash without positive intent slash without purpose of getting low arousal, indulging in video games, browsing or fap. After a day of hard work, I retained some reserves of libido, which I, without conscious intent, didn't engage with in fear of misexpression. I was recently hit with a tidal wave of instinctual pressures. I caved and they actualized with this reserve libido at the time I was ignoring. It was to my shock and surprise how much energy I actually had on reserve. I spent hours effectively wasting my energy on this expression. But after becoming aware of my complexes and myself through individuation, I caught the instincts in action and I observed. My conclusion is that I have a lot of energy I can use for creative outlets such as my music, after work, without burning out. I'm now asking you how do I, in regards to the given context, transition from misexpression to positive libido? That sounds like the, the journey of a lifetime, personally, but I'll yeah, let you two answer it, it that. Does. Uh, mm. It will also have a context, won't it, an immediate context right now. Mm. Uh, and I'm presuming he's in lockdown like the rest of the world is. Um, mm. I would say, and it depends on whether he can shift his frame sufficiently to do this, he's got a lot of insight in an ongoing sense into himself. But such things can be transitory, you know, that they can drift in and they can drift out. So he needs a way of fixing his insight. So a form of structured assessment so he knows where he's at right now would be very useful. Uh, and I know he's on the Discord, and so he has access to uh, the biopsychosocial systems model. Uh, I would suggest that he assesses himself with respect to his expression of libido within that, and then he'll see exactly where he is operating. And think of it then as an economy, that there is a limited amount of energy, and he can deploy it according to the demands of the moment, which includes his own instinctive pressures, uh, but also for the future as well. So mm. if he can assess himself now and say, this is how I'm expending my energy in such a way that, it, that you, know, you, you literally do a structured assessment on your own self right now in the moment, then that will be a real help. Otherwise, he may just go into rumination, which is the only other solution, really. People start to exist inside their psychology alone and forget that they extend beyond that into social functioning but yeah he, he seems to have a good handle on himself at the moment i would say from, yeah. from what he said he, he does i mean this is a very artificial situation we're very. all in isn't it and, yeah. and and i think you're right to say um 
to use some form of structured assessment and to do it now because mm. inevitably that will change as yeah. the time and as lockdown eases then the i guess the avenues for expression of libido will change too yeah there'll be more will. choices um, yes. for the direction in which it can go so mm. if you can get a handle on it now it's probably a good time to prepare yeah. for yeah what will be an inevitable change along the way yeah definitely um obviously a sense of meaning is very very important and mm. a sense of purpose isn't mm. it um yeah they, they, they tend to be cognitive and then after the, the thinking people can get into feelings uh, mm. about what meaning might mean literally for them um so it's going to be important for him to establish that about his future trajectory in order to get that though if he could fix in some representational form where he is right now mm. with all of his insights uh, and how his functioning extends from the top down from his psychology into biology from the bottom up from biology through psychology and into the social and natural environment then he'll know where he begins and where he ends and where his energy is um, but if we don't do that there's a tendency to remain locked within our room our own ruminations that's not good it just generates a multiplication of hypotheses and it doesn't nail things down effectively so that, that's what i would recommend agreed um that's probably i can't really add much more to that i would like to say about the lockdown though briefly because i've um, obviously being mentored by you two i'm trying to help as many people as i can in my personal life sort of go on a journey and especially you know like people who haven't been exposed to these ideas before and one of the things i, I always encourage people when they're you know find things that you like and do things that you enjoy it's just a positive thing to have day to day which is a good outlet for your libido but under lockdown i kind of get stumped actually when that question comes up and they're like what do i do and i'm like that's actually a really really good question so yeah i this this situation is not good for for anybody and, and i wonder if it's going to you know I was thinking actually, you know, there are some people who are much more introverted and they go into themselves and they find their own thoughts and, and they enjoy it. But that's just going to it's going to be exacerbated by this by this lockdown anyway. So that's not going to help anybody. So I guess we're all a little bit capped in what we can do right now. But hopefully this stuff will be will be lifted soon. And I guess in the meantime, he can do the or she, of course, can do the biopsychosocial assessment model so that when the lockdown goes, it can be happier and healthier. I, I feel strongly people shouldn't be distracted into diversional activities, if you see what I mean, because they're, they're in lockdown. So go and do this, go and do that. Yeah, it gets whatever. prescriptive. It gets it? prescriptive. It yeah. Um, yeah. And basically, that's occupational therapy it used is. as a diversion. It, it's it what is. you get in a psychiatric uh, unit uh, <laughs> with with people who mm. aren't so uh, out of it, you know, because of. Uh, the medication or because of the underlying condition yeah. that they have to be distracted into meaningful or purposeful albeit routine activities of adaptation to the environment that they're in right now so doing things like you know some kind of physical activity uh, is useful up to a point but if you're thinking a lot if you have a lot of reserve capacity cognitively uh, and obviously he has, he's an intelligent guy, there's no mm. doubt about that, articulate and intelligent, he's working on himself, mm. then I would say utilise that in a way that provides a structure that will give you a platform off which to launch yourself into the future, into a positive future and away from the past. Yeah, be, being told to do stuff like physical activity is, it appears useful on the surface and it is, but I'd actually kind of class that, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong, as also misexpressed libido because of its prescriptive nature. 
if it's not yes. coming naturally from you. I mean, yes. there's, a, there's a whole thing about building a counter complex and, and think things of that nature, but it's still mm. not emerging from you, which is why mm. like, I, I was, you know, everyone's told exercise and, mm. and, and meditate yes. and, and all these other things. And it's like, I don't mm. want to. It just doesn't feel right. There's the reserve capacity is still there because your soul's not put into yeah. it or something like like that. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah. People are into self development. Mm. Um, it's not being egocentric to say to people who are into self development to actually increase the amount of self interest that you have, because it's his purposeful to become more interested in yourself, but in a productive way, not a way then that breaks down boundaries of other people so that this, your social function no longer works because you're so self-interested but be interested enough in a curious way and he obviously is because mm. he's he's analyzing himself mm. and, and he he's been very articulate about what's going on in his psyche i just feel he needs a structure that will help him and, and in that sense something very productive can come from that process because we need flexibility and structure in order to adapt properly yeah, so I, I wouldn't recommend some of the things that people out on the internet recommend if you you know what i mean um i would i would much rather suggest to people who are on this path of self-development to acquire a structure that gives them an impression of where they really stand particularly when it comes to moving energy around energy being finite mm. well like you i think you're both saying you decide mm. for yourself then yeah what that energy is and where it should go as opposed to having it imposed from the outside yeah definitely yeah yeah, mm. yeah that's that could be why lots of university students for example t tend to be not very happy because it is yeah. it's, it's when as a kid mm. you can be more malleable and meaning you won't protest necessarily there's le less probability versus when you're an adult it seems to be because the instincts are just going to kick back so yeah it's one of the most important insights is, is is what you guys are saying i think that i've taken from this journey so far anyway but um thank you thank you kira for your question and this next one comes from dingbat and dingbat asks or says hello firstly i want to thank everyone on the young to live by team for directing me down a proper path through depth psychology and greatly assisting me on the question the, the quest to individuate we well, are very welcome dingbat and uh, the question is my worst tendency has always been self-destruction my girlfriend refers to it as imposter syndrome. It's much better now than it was when I was younger, but I still have an occasional habit of sending myself down chaotic spirals of self-doubt and even self-hatred when something doesn't quite go the way I want it to. It can get in the way of my craft, my professional life, and even my personal life on occasion. My question, how do I refrain from this excessive self-critique? How do I conquer imposter syndrome? Well, it depends whether the imposter syndrome mm. is an imposter as a suggestion to him. I mean, if, if you internalize something, uh, and it was no doubt meant in a very well-meaning way, but if, if you take that on board, and he obviously has because he's mentioning it now through this question, then that's become incorporated into him to such an effect that it's having an effect on him and on how he sees himself. So first of all, I'd question that because that might reveal more about who he is really rather than how people might experience or interpret him obviously there's, there's some truth in who we are with respect to how we're interpreted by others and it's always useful to take that on board reflexively but in a context really fundamentally he needs to discover who he is to himself um, and in that sense obviously this 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 
is going to indicate the personal myth and uncovering what is, is true personal identity is his uh, character uh, and this through line through his life, what that trajectory is and what it intends for him. Whilst we're not engaged on that, we don't have a firm place to stand. And other people's suggestions, however well-intentioned, may well then take and we actually start to doubt the integrity of our character, the thing that is actually at the core of us. I don't know, obviously, this, this person at all. Um, I don't know his background in any way. I can only go on what he said with respect to his question. But I, I would suggest, if you like, that he really does need to uncover his personal myth. Then he'll know who he is and he can separate himself off from any internal ideas that he's generated himself that are negative about himself and, and impediments or anything he may have internalized from others. So how would he do it? It's the personal myth, I'm afraid. That's what you just have to do. Otherwise, you don't have true self-knowledge. You don't know where you've come from and you don't know where you're going. There must be times too when, when the, the so-called imposter is not present. I, I'd be interested to know how he functions in the absence of it at other times because it's so easy to focus on you know the destructive side of things or when something destructive is happening mm -hmm. to you and and to forget that that will be interspersed with periods of um you know wellness and in inverted commas um or times when that person feels that they're, they're much more in touch uh, with who they are, which I think is what Steve is referring to. So I, I'd be interested to know what happens in the absence of it, mm. how he would appraise his situation then. It's just, it's just a mental shift, really, a uh, cognitive yeah. shift almost from, from one thing to another, but it might just be useful. Yeah. Mm. It's, yeah, I mean... With the biopsychosocial model, um, yeah. yeah, it's like, is it dependent on a certain state of biology? Yes. Is, is it yes. dependent on a certain person? Yes. So biodependent, yeah. psychodependent, social dependent, yeah. and indeed the entire yeah. stack, yeah. presumably not down yes. at the quantum level. That would be a bit more difficult yeah. to, 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 you know, suss out. Yes, yeah. we know it's there. Yeah. yeah. Pull that out, the whole thing collapses, <clears throat> I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, that, that's just the way it is, isn't it? Everything above relies on yeah. what is below. Yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, in terms of, you know, uh, figure out where at the quantum level something's not quite optimally balanced. You know, you know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Bio, 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 psychosocial. Um, but yeah, and, and the, the, the personal myth, certainly, because like, when did it start? And like when you say imposter syndrome, it's like, well, imposter into what? And mm. whose who's voice is it saying that you don't belong there? If indeed it is imposter syndrome. So, yeah, it's, it's just almost like associative things connected to that particular yeah. phrase. Yeah. But um all, all the best to you, though. And if you've got any more questions on that particular topic, we'd be happy to answer you, of course, over on the Discord server. So all the best to you. And the next question comes from Simon. And Simon asks, or says, first of all, hello there. Hello, Simon. And the question is, wondering about sleep and the use of biphasic or even triphasic sleep schedules. Looking over my commitments for the year in various time zones, sadly, it would appear some modified sleep schedules will be needed. I do not believe in doing this sort of thing too long and will try to keep triphasic especially to a minimum. That said, I know frontline medical staff are sometimes called to such behaviour too. Do you have any cautions, lessons, tips or the like? Thank you. Well, thank you, Simon. Have you two got any ideas? Yeah. Um, 
It's problematical, obviously. It depends on, on the initial conditions, doesn't it? Because people are, are robust enough to, uh, to take a lot of this uh, for short periods of time. Um, the fact that medical students do it is good in some ways because it helps to override the fact that if they weren't doing it, that the, the healthcare system would collapse. Bad, though, that they shouldn't have to do it. And it also helps to reinforce a culture of um, not being very receptive to people who are suffering from sleep loss, deprivation, etc., yeah. uh, and ill health that, that comes from that. Because when they were young medical students, they had to go through it. So the, there's a cultural, psychocultural overlay that means that the medical profession are not very, uh, you know, sympathetic, shall we say, to people who are going through problems like that. However, it's well known by research that it is not good for you. Um, they're not the only people who have disturbed sleep patterns. Uh, shift workers. Yeah, we've um, done that yourself done personally. It, yeah, yeah. Um, people who have worked free shifts for a long enough period of time have a statistically reduced lifespan. Uh, they have uh, a tendency towards cardiovascular diseases and even some cancers as well that appear to be in some way statistically related to the fact that they were shift workers. Um, biphasic sleep was, was quite popular in the medieval period yeah. and was considered normal, particularly for agricultural workers. Uh, and I noticed that my own sleep cycle, if I were allow, if I were to allow that to just follow its normal pattern, I would be biphasic with respect yes, to sleep. You've said that all. I've said it all, all, mm. all along. Mm. I would probably around seven p.m. decide that I needed three or four hours sleep, and then I'd get up, uh, and then at one o'clock I'd, I'd go to sleep again, probably till four or half four, five o'clock, and then I'd get up and I'd start a full day. Mm. That's my normal rhythm, and we do have ultradian and circadian rhythms which are regulated genetically and expressed through the psychoneuroendocrine system and Ernest Rossi's work on this is incredible isn't it yes um, with, with respect to how to utilize these states for healing um, psychologically and even psychophysiologically so if you can utilize these states positively for healing and if they're not properly regulated with a designed intervention to utilize these state changes in the body for health, you might well be putting yourself into a state of unhealth and dysregulation that may only catch up many years later. So if you have to do it, then do it short term. Uh, it is essentially probably unhealthy and probably unnatural. And those two things go together in a broad brush sense, unhealthy and unnatural tend to be roughly equivalent uh, as a guideline so um yeah if you're forced into it through the culture uh, your employment or whatever then i guess to some extent by definition of being forced you have to do it uh, i don't think it's ideal far from it to be honest uh, triphasic sleep well see if you can i would say but monitor your health yeah, there's there's a lot of discipline that obviously goes into stuff like that. Or may, maybe it's just me reading into the question because I personally always find it very, very difficult to switch off and go to bed. So that's a big discipline for me. And then if you have triphasic sleep, then you've got like three times when you have to go to bed. And those yeah. obviously that sleep is shorter. So you want it to be deeper because depth of sleep is obviously more important than quantity of sleep. But the problem is we live in the modern age and we have these. Unless you've got like a proper, I've got one recently actually, a proper um, red light filter, your, your, your sleep's not going to be very good. 
And so you mm. can make up for it in like one sleep cycle of like eight hours or so. But if you keep breaking that up, they're shorter and shorter. And then it's you have an increased overall amount of damage to your sleep. So yeah, I, I would echo what you said, Steve, definitely. It's like, don't do it unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, but on, on the biphasic thing, that's interesting. I'd never considered that in myself before because I think I'd be very similar to you. It hits about mm. 7 p.m. and I get yeah. really, really tired. And then it hits yeah. about... 9 p.m., 10 p.m., and I'm, I'm up and awake and I'm dancing yeah, all over the place. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, so, yeah it could that be. All night. What do yeah. you do? I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've become a problem to Pauline now. <laughs> well, he usually tells me I can't sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wake her up to tell her. And then I tease her and try and hypnotize her to go to sleep, which she gets anxious about and stays awake all night. <laughs> which is what I wanted because I've got someone to talk to other than myself. <laughs> And he does. <laughs> <laughs> but when we were younger, I kept her awake for other purposes, of course. But now, you know, I'm the age I am. Very good. Very, very good. Well, thank you for your question, Simon. Hope that that was useful for you. And the next question comes from Jep, or Gep. And uh, Gep asks, are any of you aware of Jung's seminar on Nietzsche? Regardless, do you think it's safe to assume a major aspect of Nietzsche's shadow contained characteristics of who he, Nietzsche, considered the collective herd and mediocre slash last man? If so, what may have been suggested to him if he desired integrating this side of himself, besides or including basic biological needs being met? Again, if Nietzsche even had a choice or desired one in the matter. Um, for example, characters like Goethe or Jung had things like family, friends, work, etc. to keep them grounded, whom also must have felt some or a major sense of reward and duty from such things, if they were to help keep their footing sufficiently on the surface. It's possible Nietzsche simply didn't have anyone or anything in his external environment which felt understood him, or enough to meet his needs or demands, be it consciously or not. That's absolutely correct, by the way. Which could give him a home in the world besides his writing for what we know of. Thanks. Well, there we go. Do you two want to comment on Nietzsche and Nietzsche's shadow? Well, I did answer this on the Discord, um, actually, and I, I think that's probably sufficient. Um, yeah, Nietzsche is a well-known deceased personality from the 19th century, effectively. Um, he's not amenable to advice because you can't talk to him. If he were available to talk to, he wouldn't listen. And there are other people who are probably more deserving in a humanistic sense of receiving the, that kind of attention. Because people who are sufficient unto themselves, and he was, don't need any kind of input from someone like me, any kind of support or advice or interpretation. Um, and in that sense, it's very like, um, like we're saying about religion. If, if somebody, before one of the earlier questions, if somebody is contained successfully within their belief system, they have no need for depth psychology at all. Um, Nietzsche was what he was, and he, he, he was living in his own times. He was very fortunate in, in, in some ways that what came through him was of sufficient creative value that it was taken up by some people. But there are so many other people out in the world who suffer as much, if not more than him, mm. who are also creative in their own way, who these days get electroconvulsive therapy or get yeah. drugged up to their eyes, uh, uh, end up in chronic psychiatry where they are effectively imprisoned for the remainder of their life and wherein they get abused. So there are lots of people like him out there, an awful lot. Um, More deserving of help. Probably, um, yes. be because he was productive and creative. He got yes. something out there. Mm. 
you know, he exchanged in some senses a normal life for being the life of a philosophical prophet at the end of the 19th century. That's enough for a life to achieve and any attempt at helping him would probably have ruined that in the same sense that someone once wrote um, an article oh, yeah, in a yeah. journal about um, Sigmund Freud yeah. saying that uh, occupational <clears throat> therapy in the UK NHS um, could have prevented Freud from developing some of his wacky theories you know and if they'd have gotten hold of him that would have prevented him you know producing a sexual theory his theory uh, that he did hold and pushed for a long time about uh, the universality of sexual abuse of children that crazy idea according to this person could have been knocked on the head it wasn't a crazy idea it was absolutely true and sadly Freud caved in to the pressure of the time mm. and this that sorry would have been just a repeat attempt to squash consciousness of, of what was going on so Freud uncovered the industrial level of paedophilia that was at work and all the other ideas that this guy didn't like about mm. Sigmund Freud could have been therapized away in a contemporary psychiatric unit through diversional occupational therapy you know so that that was complete crap and I wrote in and said that you would want to cure this guy of his crea creative illness if you did that, there would have been no Carl Gustav Jung, no You'd Alfred Adler. You'd the course of history, wouldn't you? Yeah, the whole history of psychotherapy would mm. have changed completely just by taking that one guy's creative illness out of the equation. And the same mm. would be true of Nietzsche. His philosopher, a great one, and he suffered. He suffered intensely. But there's people suffering now. And there are people suffering now. But both of those mm. things are true. And it just shows how complicated situations are, mm. how complicated people are, mm. how complicated the times in which people live are contrasted with our times that are complex in a different way. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I respect the question. It, it certainly got me going, you know. So there, there was a lot of, uh, of energy in that question. And, um, yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, I've got Nietzsche's Zarathustra, the, the seminar. I, I did show this to, to him on the, mm. the Discord. This is what Carl Jung thought of Zarathustra. This much. It was worthy of this much attention from him. So if you want to study Nietzsche, yeah, great, do it. And if you want a psychological interpretation of him, then it's in these two volumes. I actually got the wrong volume off there because I've got the Dream Analysis Seminar, but this, this, these are the two Nietzsche ones. They're probably available online in, in a PDF form. But I, I've got nothing to add to this. How could I, you know? Young devoted this much effort and attention to it. So I would suggest that he looks there. And then look, in, look into his own life and find his own resources and see what he feels he can draw from Nietzsche's example, the good and the bad. The same is true uh, of Carl Jung. If you drown yourself in his life, you won't live your own. No, I mean, it's a very scholarly thing to do, isn't it? Is. it? it is. But, but you, you could take that learning, that education, and take it out into the world and, and help people here and now. Yeah, thank you. This is a good one, by the way. No, it's, it's off topic. If you're inter interested in the seminars from the collected works, dream analysis. Something we should look at, I think. So, but, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. And uh, apologies if it got like, me a bit. That got me a bit animated uh, in, in response. Um, but yeah, thank you, and 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 really sincerely, good luck with your personal journey. It's hard work, and separating ourselves out from deceased personalities who kind of live on in our minds like ghosts. But they're not us. Find yourself, my friend. 
I like that. I like that, and I like it when you get animated. Of course, it's always it's always um, entertaining. Uh, if if you want to, I mean, you asked about Nietzsche's shadow. It's uh, I made a video on this a while back, six months ago or so. I think it's still up. Um, it got fa fairly popular as well. Um, but basically, the re the real quick dirty gist of why Nietzsche went mad was because of his shadow. So, so Jung's words almost verbatim is. Nietzsche was driven by the will to power described by Nietzsche himself. So it was a coin that he basically, a term that he coined himself. But the opposite of the will to power is, is love. So yeah. if, if the psyche is governed by opposites, basically he was overamped yeah. and one sided in one direction. So you have Zarathustra as a strange character who is a strange character and it's interesting. And clearly, you know, Nietzsche framed himself as the opposite to Christ. He called himself the Antichrist. So although you might consider him to be like a more of an atheist type in a traditional sense, he didn't believe in God. He was certainly attracted to those ideas massively. And all Zarathustra really is, is, is a parody, if you like, a darker parody of Christ. But when Zarathustra is on his sort of tightrope, walking across, balancing between the opposites of good and evil, Nietzsche didn't do that very well. He didn't balance the own opposites in his psyche very well. As you pointed out, he didn't have relationships and he wanted them. He certainly wanted them. And he, he, um, he used to propose marriage to many different people and he was rejected by all of them. And if you think about it instinctually, Nietzsche believed, and he said this explicitly, Zarathustra is the greatest gift ever given to mankind. And he believed that to be true. Okay, no comment on that. But it didn't sell any copies. None. Until after he went mad. Nothing. So he's a wounded man on an instinctual level. That, that is absolutely true if you take any kind of biological frame regardless of how profound his ideas are and it's, it's weird to me how someone could take Nietzsche and I was always interested in Nietzsche because well there are a variety of reasons I was interested in, in Nietzsche but he was a man who wrote a lot of books and had a lot of nice ideas very very intelligent but he went mad and there's all these this weird kind of revisionist history in the pro-Nietzsche camp. I don't understand. It's like, well, he had syphilis. Or, and I know mm -hmm. some people say that, that, that that's a myth. and I'm going to be attacked for that. He had cancer or it was a biological cause. And he was a great man who was taken out by biology. I don't care. He went mad. Like he wasn't a well-integrated person. He wasn't. And, and we, we, there's no real diagnosis of what could have happened to Nietzsche looking back no one's been able to do it successfully biologically was he was he bipolar was he schizophrenic was, was he anything no there's no evidence of that anywhere so do you know sorry sorry please go on i interrupted you no 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 it's cool it's just um does Nietzsche help say, people that's it. yeah i mean most people manage to live a complete and full life and have no contact with his ideas at all and it's the same with carl jung and you know it's actually the same with anybody who you allow to influence you in the time that you have, you know, that's, that's going to be very, very important about how you live your future. So be careful about whose ideas you take on board. Very, very careful. And I, I include Carl Jung in that. As someone we both have, and in my case, I've followed Carl Jung for 47 years. Been a constant internal companion, his works. And... I was a great believer in him and I am largely still, but you do learn what you need to, to chip away when you collide with real life and don't put these people into your mind as a proxy for living a life. You have to get that life for yourself. It's the only authentic way to live. Otherwise everything you're doing is provisional. My own view is he's not the exemplary philosopher at all. There are others who are better. I would go back to Greece for that. I really would. 
Um, but if, if you choose to do that, there will be a reason because something is feeding in from, from the wider zeitgeist around Nietzsche and around the, the culture at the time, which is still operating in you now. Or there's some compensation you feel needs to be made for the present zeitgeist and you're reaching back to that mindset as if it were relevant today. But ultimately, you do have to live inside your own psyche and also beyond that in your own culture and with your own biology and all of its preset limits. So be careful who you allow to influence you, I would say. Um, by, all means, uh, by all means, study him, study anyone you like. You know, um, I've done it. I've studied lots of people and I've, I've tried to incorporate them in and, and to live uh, through their ideas and use them as an aspirational model. But the one thing you will learn by doing clinical work is the relativity of your own value compared to someone else and the relativity of your own values too, independently of you as a human being, but those values that you hold and those ideas that you have. And uh, that meeting of human nature in its widest sense that's outside of yourself and in the other, that objectiveness, that's an important thing to engage with. If, if you can derive something useful for yourself from Nietzsche, of course, of course, do it. By all means, do it. Um, but there is a trap. There There's is, a trap clinically, yes, isn't yes, there, with any kind yeah. of identification there is, absolutely. with another human being. And like yeah. you say, you, you lose yourself in that. And you do. Whilst there may be positive things uh, yeah. that you could abstract out mm -hmm. of it, you get all the other stuff as well, uh, as I think James yeah. was suggesting, yeah. because you, you fail to see the, the wholeness of, uh, of the man. Mm. Um, and, you know, would you want to have all the other aspects of mm. his life as mm. well as the mm. creative ones? Yeah. I mean, Pauline mentioned something um, it was you who mentioned it, wasn't it? Before I drop her in it, you know. Go on. Um, biblical prophets. Oh, and, earlier today, you mean? Yeah. Yes. And uh, they're equivalent today. They're out there. And Moses, who brings down the laws from Ararat, having released people, sorry, Sinai, um, having released people, metaphorically from Egypt and their enslavement. And it is a metaphor because there's no evidence that that actually historically ever happened. There's no trace of it in the Egyptian records and anything on that scale would have been noted by the Egyptians. They were very, very good at recording their history. But if we take it as a metaphor to be released from apparent enslavement by a culture or a society and then following a man of personality in the form of a contemporary biblical prophet who brings down from Sinai his laws about how to live mm. and what happened then well he wandered around the desert for 40 years lost oh yeah what happens then if if in your 20s you give up 40 years of your life yeah because you followed somebody who didn't know where they were going or who planted some set of suggestions and laws of how to live in your mind that you don't pressure test but you just follow because it's like some kind of law you have to be careful seeing this happen now with so many people yes some of the more fortunate ones are becoming ill because then that allows them to become become conscious consciousness is your only freedom you need to do that you need to differentiate yourself from 
others who would lead you astray. Well, but it's easier to join a cult than to leave one. Yes. Isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Leaving is always difficult. It's always get, get, getting out from the influence of these ideas, yeah. as you say, and mm. a cult need not be a physical thing or even a physical presence of someone. It can just be a body of alleged of knowledge yeah. mm. and ideas that, that, that then form collective influence. Mm. So be very, very careful lest you wander around for 40 years yourself yeah. and maybe don't live to reach the promised land. You know, you have to do it as an individual journey, not as a herd. And in that sense, perhaps Nietzsche was right. Yes, uh, I'd like, like to just add sort of one, my, my, my final thought on this, I guess, is because I, obviously I was, I started YouTube making videos on Jung and on Nietzsche. And I've been, people have asked me like, why have you gone with Jung or sided with Jung insofar as that's true? And it's framed as Jung versus Nietzsche, like it's this some kind of epic battle that's taking place. And that, that, that idea, I believe, is popular because of Jordan Peterson and it goes to the death of God. And that's a that's a valid question. But the reframe on that is simply, you know, who would you use if there's someone who comes up to you, a dear friend, they're unhappy, they're sad, they're suffering with something. What would you give them? Would you give them clinical tools from yourself that you've used to develop yourself to bring out the happiness within them that have been tested for over 100 years? Or would you give them the parable of the pale man or Zarathustra's sermons? You wouldn't. So, yes, in terms of, you know, your own philosophy going forward, it's your own prerogative where you want to pick and choose things from. But I choose personally to go with psychoanalysis and psychotherapy over philosophy because we know it works to bring out the best in people. Whereas philosophy is just philosophy. You know? Well, where there's a lack of experience, real life experience, there tends to be a multiplication of ideas, theories, and where there is experience, there tends to be a rationalization down of theories because they've been pressure tested. So in the absence of experience, there's lots of ideas, particularly with intelligent people, because the spur capacity goes into over amping that, that theoretical development. Too many hypotheses, Occam's razor, mm. Lloyd Morgan's canon, parsimonial explanation. Useful ideas, those two, but even they have to be pressure tested with real things, lest they become just ideas themselves. And, you know, yes, I, I, I agree. And yeah, I would, out of those two, without a shadow of a doubt, there's, there's no contest, it's Jung. However, in the real world, Jung's ideas themselves need to be adjusted, to be applicable, because most of it doesn't work yeah believe it or not in real life real world frontline health service provision with people who are suffering most of Jung's ideas don't work they just don't they're not applicable that's why we've got this cbt nonsense that's running around now rampant all over the place mm. and yet there are nuggets of pure gold in Jung's work that do work practically and the reason that they're overlooked is that people are far too busy fantasizing. And that's just the truth of it. That's why there are no, no orthodox Jungian analysts working in primary healthcare, for example, and very, very few in psychiatry and uh, frontline psychiatry. And those that are still have to work within a system that medicates and uses electroconvulsive shock therapy uh, and, and all the rest of it, because that's the way the culture is. That, and that's the way the culture has rationalized a way of processing human beings. No one has time 
for Jungian analysis in that kind of environment. And those who do have time for it, generally speaking, will only fall down within very narrow parameters. These are people who have fundamental issues of personality development that means it's going to take a long time to work through. But there's a downside to that. If you actually see a lot of people interviewed, and these interviews are available on YouTube, people who've been through long-term, years and years of Jungian analysis, they come out and they spout psychologisms right, left, and center. They're full of therapy speak. Yeah. It's like, where, where's the person? Yeah, well, they're no longer there. They're no longer there. They, they've, <laughs> been, they've been transformed, all right. Uh -huh. They've gone through the philosoph philosopher's stone and they've come out looking and acting like they've been programmed, mm. you know, like the Borg. They've all been assimilated to the Borg or to the Jung, mm. you know, and, the, and not even young as he was, but young as the impression of him that has been left through his works. So, yeah, the real world then is the proving ground. So between Jung and Nietzsche, I choose Jung, but Jung in the real world, he has to be changed. And on the Discord today, I put up a link to a video by the Depth Psychology Alliance, which shows the breadth of diversity of approach within the Jungian corpus now. And some people have said that I've moved away from Jung. You've seen nothing yet until you see what's in there. The diversity of approaches within the Jungian umbrella as a whole is far wider than you get in those books back there on that yeah. shelf. Or in many of the videos you get on YouTube where people just read out chapters from it. People who have no experience. All they do is read. Yeah. The personal challenge is to ask yourself why you're so attached to us, isn't it, really? Yeah, it, it is. Mm. It is. Because for some people, I think, as, as Pauline did say this uh, to mm. me earlier today, that if the bubble of attachment to Carl Jung as this imaginary introject is burst, what is the left for those people then yeah they need to develop their own substance and then they will know whether Jung's ideas truly are right for them and this can only be worked out in the life of an individual and we've done it for ourselves and we know what works for us and working for other people from Jung and that's why we stay connected to him but he's not enough nowhere near enough on his own yeah, on the, I mean, you mentioned reading and the collected works. Maybe we can come full circle and agree with something that, that Nietzsche said, where he said there was no innate virtue in reading as such. He said you should go out and live a life. I can agree with that at the very yeah. least. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that, yeah. Well, uh, with that, we've got to close up because we've got many, many things to do. But thank you, everybody, of course. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Pauline. And uh, you. if you'd like to if you'd like to take part in our little roundtable stuff that we do here, Ask yeah. a Depth Psychologist, then you can sign up at the $10 tier or higher on Patreon and you get to ask us as many questions as you like, which I should probably change, but I won't because we're all masochists over here. We have 19 questions in the reservoir at the moment. <laughs> so we will, we will keep doing them as long as there is a demand. So you're all appreciated. Thank you. We'll see you again next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Blessings.